Welcome to the Centro Church Podcast. To find out more about Centro Church, please visit us at centrochurch.com.au or download our smartphone app today. ...that we live in, and due to predictive text, um, they say that about one in five children this year, uh, due to predictive text, won't be visited by Santa, but will in fact be visited by Satan this year. And so, if your child wakes up at midnight screaming... Uh, they probably tried to text Santa, but didn't get through. And, uh, but nonetheless, uh, they've got you to help them. Amen? Fantastic. Come on, that was pretty funny jokes. They were fantastic. I laughed when I read that. And, uh, anyway. <laughs> this morning, I'm going to uh, continue a series that uh, Pastor John started fantastically, if that's even a word, last week, uh, called It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. And we're looking at, you know, we sing the song, we uh, say the phrase, but what does it actually mean? Why is it the most wonderful time of the year? And Pastor John, you can get uh, the message on podcast, uh, uh, came and said, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year because Jesus came and through him we can have righteousness and, uh, you know, self-righteousness gets us nowhere, and, uh, but, but it's the most wonderful time of the year because Jesus came and we be, uh, can be connected to God. And so this morning, I want to continue that thought this morning on why is it the most wonderful time of the year? And at the end of the message, I hope that you will have an answer for yourself. This morning, uh, to keep us on track, I have a scripture for us, our foundational scripture. It's from 1 Peter 1, verses 18 to 19, and you can get out your phone and follow me if you want. It says this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Uh, Who loves lamb? That's why I chose the scriptures, because of that. I was hungry when I was preparing. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. You know that ever since mankind became disconnected from God, we've constantly been going on this journey to try and reconnect us to God, to try and fix the problems that exist within mankind. The problems being this. uh, How do I stop doing the things that I know are hurting me? That's sin. Uh, How do I create morality in an immoral world? That's wickedness. That's the sinful nature of mankind. And how do we free ourselves from this? That's salvation. Two things. How do I save myself from me? And how do I save others from each other? We've constantly, as humanity, been looking for this great escape that someone or something would come into our world and rescue us from our own demise and self-pity and self-indulgence and give us life when all it seems that we can build for ourselves is continued death and destruction. The great escape really is what we've all been searching for. Maybe in your, your life you've had a great escape moment. Uh, maybe you uh, were supposed to be in trouble, but you got out of it and you escaped getting in trouble. Maybe there's someone here this morning and maybe you've almost drowned. Maybe you have a story where you almost drowned, but someone came and picked you up out of the water. Maybe you had a car crash and you shouldn't have lived to tell the tale. Uh, maybe you had a near miss and you should have died. You had a great escape moment. I know that all of us have had this experience. Maybe you went to the bathroom and did what you had to do and you flushed. And instead of the water and all your business going down, it started coming back up. Is that not the most uneasy moment in a person's life? 
where you feel like coughing out your lungs and your heart. It's coming up, it should be going down. And then it gets all sucked under really quickly and you eat your liver and heart back in. And Anyone? Uh, just me? Okay. <laughs> Maybe you've had a great escape. I've had a few great escape moments in my life and I want to share, with one, uh, share one with you this morning just because I can. Probably the most vivid, greatest escape I've ever had in my life. Do you remember that... Uh, a socially degenerating game that we all used to play as kids. What was it called? Um, catch and Kiss. And ever played Catch and Kiss when they were younger? Yeah, no, me neither. No, no I didn't. Uh, Greg was telling me about it. <laughs> and, uh, catch and Kiss. <laughs> Remember that game, Catch and Kiss? Remember that game that would segregate all the kids from their peer group? Remember that game? Remember that game? Because, you know, the whole idea of the game was if you were it, it was to chase down the agenda of the opposite sex or in this day and age, chase down someone who's gender neutral because we don't want to discriminate between boys and girls. But the whole idea was to chase down someone... I thought you might like that one, Pastor John. I worked on that for you. <laughs> chase down someone of the opposite sex, land a kiss on him because if you did, if you caught them and kissed them, you had just defiled them. You had just made them unclean in the sight of all their peers. Because to see, if you were the one getting chased, if you were the person getting chased, caught and kissed, you were now deemed undesirable you had just been socially separated from your support peer group because see if you were caught and if you were kissed you were diagnosed by other eight-year-old catch and kiss experts with a disease so incurable that doctors today still don't know how to cure it you were a dead man walking the tunnel was long and the tunnel was dark can you remember what that disease was cooties yes cooties they should have taken prayer out of school. They should have taken cooties out of school. I mean, the catch and kiss out of school, right? So one day, I'm involved in this Hunger Games type social experiment called Catch and Kiss, and I'm getting chased by this demon fueled, disease ridden vehicle we call girls. And don't let my body fuel you, uh, fuel you right now, church. There was a time in my life where I could run fast and I could run far. But as fast and as far as I ran, this little vehicle was empowered by the disease in it and it ran as fast and as far as what I could it was catching me it was gaining me I couldn't get caught and I couldn't get kissed and so I'm running ever thinking Tim what to do what to do what to do and I saw in the distance the school prison I mean the school tennis courts remember those and so I thought to myself, I'm going to get into the school tennis courts. I'm going to face this thing head on and do a Justin Thurston sidestep. He didn't exist back then, so it was a Tim Mullen sidestep. Remember Tim Mullen from the Canberra Raiders? Any Raiders fans here? Oh, God bless you. God bless you. I see that hand. Is there another? <laughs> and so I ran into the, in, 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 into the school prison. And I, I wasn't thinking, church. I wasn't thinking clearly because I ran in there and what seems like hundreds of thousands of other young people Involved in an other maze runner type social experiment called handball. Remember that game? That was a brilliant game. If you were, remember how at the end of the lunch break you either had to be ace or you were dunce. And you couldn't be dunce, otherwise, once again, you were socially expelled, you were cast out. And so I ran in and I'm running through all these handball games, not wanting to get hit by the ball and bouncing off people and freaking out because this thing's still behind me. I can feel it. And so I ran to the corner to turn around to see if I could still see it. I got out of all the handball games, ran to the corner and turned around. There she was. She kept up with me. I'm starting to freak out. I'm in this corner of this handball court and this thing is like, ah, 
car walking up to me, drool coming from its teeth. I could smell lust on its breath. <laughs> that went too far. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. This story gets more dramatic every time I tell it. It's awesome. <laughs> this did happen, by the way. Uh, maybe some things did it, but... And so I'm in the corner. These things are ah, coming up to me and up to me and I'm like, I'm done and boof, boof, hands on either side of my head coming in for the transference of death. I'm like, oh, my life is done. You know, REM, I can hear the song. It's the end of the world as we... Which is impressive because it wasn't even written back then. But anyway... I was, that was my prophetic gift kicking in, right? And I'm like, ah, oh, I'm going to get kissed. I'm going to get cooties. I'm done. My, pe- my, my friends are going to, they're not going to sit next to me in class. It's over. And so I put my head to the side, put my thumb in my mouth, and I'm rocking back and forward, waiting to get cooties. For church, the most amazing thing happened in that moment. The most amazing act of heroism, bravery. There should be a ward for this person. I heard the most amazing thing. As I'm waiting to be kissed and deemed undesirable, I saw my friend, who for the sake of the story we'll call Simon, because that was his name. (laughs) He ran into the vice principal's office, which was right near the tennis courts. And he ran and he grabbed out the bell. Back when I was in school, you had a proper bell to bring all the little minions in from playtime. And he grabbed, he, he saw me. He saw me in an act of bravery. He ran into the office, grabbed the bell and started ringing it, screaming, get away from him, get away from him. Oh, church, I was saved by the bell. <laughs> I was going to write that one down, that was good. <laughs> I had experienced the great escape. This thing heard the bell and ah, walking back in the fog that was there, retreated. Church, I'm here to tell you this morning that I, Timothy Spark, do not have cooties. <sighs> Praise God. Barry Reek, we're a bit worried about. He came in this morning with a rash just here. And uh, so we're a bit worried about him. <laughs> you know, as humans, you know, we love stories of great escapes. We all love stories of moments where people outwit or outmaneuver a situation that could get ugly. Yet when it has come to escaping the frailties of human weakness, we haven't found a human way to escape it. We've tried many things. We've tried things like substance abuse. Throughout our whole history as humans, if we can just drown our sorrows, they might go away. We've tried things like the exertion of personality, where if I can just be bigger than you, if I can be bigger than my problem, I'm not going to get hurt. The problem is it hurts everybody else. We've tried things like suicide to escape the problem, but who knows, that doesn't work. We've tried things like self-harm, which just, that just substitutes the pain from one pain to another. We've tried the things like the creation of moral ideologies. If I can just be a good person, maybe I can fix myself. We've tried things like fantasy. If I can just live in another world, if I can keep myself entertained somewhere else, I won't have to think about my problems. The biggest thing, however that mankind has made to try and fix itself is the creation of self-righteous religion. It's the idea that if I can follow self-appointed rules and regulations, I could, poss- I could potentially not just control myself, but I can control other people to do the right thing. The problem is, it doesn't work. 
The idea that if I can live a life pious enough that makes me self-righteous will somehow appease God, get God's attention and me be good. The problem though with me trying to be self-righteous is it leads to pride and pride is the opposite of righteousness. And so even though I'm trying to be self-righteous, I'm actually walking in the opposite direction. Religion never fixes the issue. In 1 Peter, it gives us a little bit more depth when Peter said on, on the screen, he, he, he said, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. What Peter is saying is this, Hey, all those rules and regulations that you're, that, 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 that you're told to do to make God like you, that doesn't work. In fact, God has freed you from that. The idea of living a life of tradition that causes righteousness is the foundation of religion that steers us to self-righteousness. It's not our own good works of righteousness that redeem us from the sin or sinfulness of mankind. It's only the righteousness of Christ. That's why Paul writes, "For uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And so religion was made to try and appease the gods. The first recorded human religion was the religion of the Sumerians. And the whole idea was for me to get God's attention, for me to like me, for the rivers to be full but not flood, for the rain to fall but not damage, for my family to to be blessed and not die, I had to do things to get God's attention. I had to do things like kill animals to get God's attention. I had to do things like kill other humans, human sacrifice to get God's attention. I had to do things like I had to worship God in a particular way. There was rules and regulations that told me how to worship and if I did that, I'd get God's attention. I had to build altars. I I had to build shrines. I had to build temples to get God's attention to make me like me and for me to overcome the frailties that exist within me. But as many things as we killed, as many things as we built, it never fixed the problem. The problem of us going to war, the problem of us hating each other, the problem of me hating myself still existed within humankind. And so even the first attempt of religion didn't work to fix us. One day, however, a man who lived in that region, uh, his dad left and uh, in modern day Iraq, uh, traveled up the Euphrates River and settled in a town called Haran. It was in this city called Haran that for the first time in recorded human history, God has a verbal encounter with mankind. And he says to a man named Abram, you may have heard that name before. He says, Abram, I have a plan to redeem creation back to myself. You have to go to a land because I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And so God's plan about creating a people group that would represent God, that would show people how to get to God, not about rules and regulations, but that God just loves you in general. Here's how you do it. God's intention was to go through a people group to make them good people, but so that they could be a blessing to all nations. But you and I both know that when you give people power, they tend to abuse it. And so the Jewish people, instead of, being, uh, instead of being a holy nation, instead of being a kingdom of priests, instead of being a people blessed to be a blessing, got infatuated and focused on the blessing. And instead of being a blessing to all nations, they became self-consumed with being a nation themselves. And so nationalism outgrew their calling. Now we know that God's plan was to bring Jesus through the Jewish people all along and God being gracious and merciful still did. And so in the year approximately 0 AD, (laughs) Jesus comes to earth. 
Jesus as God comes, Jesus incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, comes to earth. Jesus comes to earth to tell us, hey, people, all these rules and regulations don't fix squat. All you need to do is just go to God. You can come to God. You can come to God and, and you can be fixed. You, you can be made whole. You can have health. You can have purpose. It's not about the rules don't get you anywhere. And so those same people who told people that the rules do get you somewhere didn't like that message. And so they killed Jesus. Well, Jesus being Jesus died and then he just rose again, which is pretty impressive if you ask me. <laughs> he comes back to life and says, see, it's not about rules and regulations. It's just about the power of God. And you can access at any time, at any point, just be aware of who God is. And so Jesus then has this idea, God's plan once again, to create a people group to to be a blessing to all nations, to help people not hate themselves anymore and to help people not hate each other anymore. And that people group was the church. Well done. (laughs) The church. And so God has this idea that the church would necessarily be that holy nation to be a kingdom of priests to be a people group that would bless all nations and that people can come to God through the church and so the church at first has its calling in being a blessing to all nations and it does it wasn't just a good uh, place for Jews to go but they were very uh, uh, pro-Gentile pro non-Jewish the church loved that and the church exploded some things changed however in 300 AD a man by the name of Constantine came to power in the eastern side of the Roman Empire the west was uh, uh, run by a guy named Licinius and at that time people would kill Christians because apparently we disturbed social peace apparently (laughs) and so they would kill Christians what happened though was it became personal for Constantine Constantine's wife became a Christian and so he said oh I kind of like this girl we shouldn't kill Christians anymore. So in 313 AD, he goes to Licinius and says, Licinius, we shouldn't kill Christians anymore. Licinius goes, great human rights record. Very good, let's sign it. And so in 313 AD, sign what's called the Edict of Milan, which says that the state can no longer kill Christians. Yay, no more killing Christians, that's really cool. What happens 12 years later? Constantine overthrows Licinius. 56 years later in 380 AD, Constantine himself becomes a Christian. Now, here's when the problem starts for us as the church. Constantine becomes a Christian. The church is doing really well, being a blessing to all nations. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. People are getting hope and help. Amen? Good? Yeah. Well, Constantine, like every man who has power, wants more power and wants to have control over everything. And so Constantine says, hang on, the church can't grow like it is. We've got to, we, we have to control this thing. And so Constantine says, okay, uh, you bishop, so every church leader was a bishop. He said, you're going to be the bishop of bishops. You're going to be the pope of popes. Actually, no one else is a pope. You're the pope. And so Licinius creates this position where the church is now totally governed. It's a universal church or a Catholic church. What happens very quickly is the church gets embedded with the ruling power and we now have created the Roman Catholic Church. And so the church is now in bed, grossly put, with empire and empire only wants one thing that's revenue you only get revenue by two ways and it's going to war and taking land and raising taxes and so the church instead of being about bringing hope to a hopeless world about bringing help to a helpless world uh, gives uh, gets uh, uh, connected with empire and is simply the moral permission to go to war and to make money and so once again uh, the people group that God had intended to bring hope and help become infatuated with the blessing and infatuated with the stuff and once again we cannot fix ourselves through religion is that a good history lesson right there so even though the ideology of religion 
has good intentions, which is to create a utopian society that humanity can function in righteousness, it still misses the mark of actually dealing with the ingrown problems that we have, that being sin and not being able to escape it. The question that I have for you this morning is this. What ways have you attempted to get God's attention? What things have I done to try and get God's attention? I've heard it many times, and I imagine you have too, where someone has a problem in their life, and they come up to you and they say, oh, Pastor Tim, my life is a mess, and things are going wrong, I don't know what to do. I've got to get back to church. Anyone heard that saying before? I've got to get back to church. Whenever Whenever I hear that, I think to myself, no, no, you don't need to get back to church. Because if getting back to church is just you saying everything's going wrong, I've got to get God's attention, it doesn't work like that. In fact, it's the same root idea as human sacrifice. Human sacrifice is I'm going to kill this person to get God's attention for him to love me. Coming to church to get God's attention for him to love me, it's the same root cause. So coming to church for the sake of following rules and regulations to get God's attention, it doesn't fix anything. It doesn't fix anything. It's never been about what you can do. It's always been about what God did. Peter goes on to say in our foundational scripture, he says, And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose Him as your ransom long before the world began. What that means is this. There's only one way to fix issues in our life, and that's Jesus. The early church wrote this. There is salvation in no one else. Paul wrote this to Timothy. There is one God and one mediator, Christ Jesus. Paul wrote this to the Italians. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, no matter who you are. Let me tell you, church, the great escape from sin is Jesus Christ this morning. He is and was our substitution to our separation. He is our redemption. You know, redemption, the word redeem, it means to buy back. It means to repurchase. Have you ever gone to a, like a markets and you see all this secondhand junk? You know, like secondhand books, secondhand clothes, secondhand children, I don't know. Secondhand things, right? And, and, and some people uh, that exist here today, like my mum, go into these marketplaces and they buy somebody else's rubbish. They buy somebody else's junk. But they make it, they, they repurchase it. But what they do is they maybe give it a facelift like my mum does or, or give it new value. They maybe restore it to its original use. Maybe give it a new purpose. You know, Jesus Christ did that exact same thing. He came into the marketplace of your mind. He came into the marketplace of your heart and he was walking around and he saw the pain. And he went up to the instigator of the pain and he said, hey, how much for those tears? Hey, how much for that pain? How much for that divorce? What's it going to cost me for that depression? What's it going to cost me for the pain of that, uh, of that child who's gone away? What's it going to cost me to take away that pain? And the instigator said, Jesus is going to cost you everything. And Jesus said, devil, done, sold. I'll give myself for all that pain. I'm here to tell you this morning, church, Jesus has paid for your pain this morning. He's come in. 
and he's bought it and he's out to make tears something happy. He's out to make broken relationships something whole. Jesus, I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus has come into the marketplace of your heart and he's given us value. He's given us hope. He's given you purpose, new life and engagement to God. Hope, come on, that's good news this morning, church. Woo! I'm preaching, Stasha, I'm preaching. She's staring at me like, give me more. I don't know what she's... I'm trying my hardest, you know. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I'll tell you right now. Because Jesus came and we're now his masterpiece. In fact, the Bible says it, that we are his masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. A couple of years ago, Malachi and Abby were fighting and uh, Malachi had Abby and you know bashing up his little sister like what naughty boys do don't laugh at that <laughs> that was naughty. stop encouraging my son <laughs> just just joking I know it was ter- terrible and he's fighting his sister and so I went up to him and grabbed him off Abigail and said oh what are you doing and he said dad I don't like her she's not my friend he uses that doesn't he? She's, she's not my friend I don't like her and I said to him I don't care what you think. I like her. So she's staying. I said, I don't want you to have your opinion on who she is. I need you to have my opinion on who she is. Let me tell you this morning, it doesn't matter what other people's opinions are of you. You may feel like somebody's secondhand trash but all that matters is how daddy God feels about you because you're his masterpiece and he's created you new in Christ Jesus so that he can do the good things that he has planned for you long long ago I'll tell you why it's the great escape this morning church I'll tell you why it's the most wonderful time of the year three things number one because God's desire is for me God's desire is for you. Number two, God's desire is for us. Number three, this is why it's the most wonderful time of the year because God's desire is for them. I'll tell you why it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's not just because we get to have all that sin and wickedness dealt with. It's not just because we can have relationships restored. It's not just so we can live in the blessing of God just like the Jews and just like the church did. Then they ruined it by focusing on the blessing. It's the most wonderful time of the year, church, because we get to outwork what God's intention was all along, which was to be a blessing to all people. You know how you got that family member that you don't want to see? You know that family member? You don't want to go to Christmas lunch with them? Don't have your opinion of them. Have God's opinion of them. Don't be a holy people or in any kingdom of priests. Don't be that if we're not prepared to be a blessing to all people. I'll tell you what, it's the most wonderful time of the year, church, because right now we get to unapologetically preach the good news of Jesus. Here's a challenge for you. Maybe you're the only Christian in your family and you're going to have Christmas lunch or dinner. Right before they eat, just sit up and say, hey guys, welcome to whoever's house it is. I just want to pray for us. Is that all right? They're not going to say no. Who's going to be dumb enough to look that awkward in front of all the family? They're all going to sit down and shut up and listen to you pray 
and maybe even prophesy over them by saying things like, Lord, I thank you for this great family. I thank you that this year, you've got, next year you've got good things in store for this family. I thank you, Lord. As a challenge for you, be a blessing. Maybe there's someone here and you've got a family member that you know you can just speak words of hope and wisdom into. Take them aside and just begin telling them how good they are and that things can get better. And just say, hey, can I pray with you? And pray with them. And if they liked it, because you'll be able to tell, if they walked out during your prayer, they didn't like it. <laughs> but if they stayed there, and if at the end they say, hey, that made me feel good, go one step further and say something like, hey, you know, I used to be in that exact same chair that you were in, but then someone introduced me to, to the most wonderful thing that I've ever experienced in my life. And right now you can have that wonderful time of this year. I accept Jesus into my heart and it was through him that I could deal with the things that I don't like about myself and that I don't like about other people. Would you like to know Jesus? It's a great segue. I'll tell you what, it's the most wonderful time of the year, church, because we get to be a blessing to all people. Amen. We get to fulfill the original calling. Amen. I want to pray with some people here today and two just two categories I guess maybe one of them is you if you're here this morning and maybe for the first time in your life you're hearing of a God that has a purpose and a plan for you maybe you're hearing about a God that has something good maybe you're for, for the first time you've heard that this God Jesus can come and he can take away the things that you don't like about yourself that he can deal with the things that you don't like about other people that he can deal with this incessant need and want and desires that we have I would love to be here and pray with you and be that person that introduces you to Jesus and like I said before, it's not about following rules and rituals and regulations. That's not what Jesus is about. You know, this morning, you can have all that taken away just by saying yes to Jesus. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Tim, yeah, that's me. I'd love to accept that grace-giving, mercy-fulfilling God. If that's you, if you can just give me a quick wave. I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to get you out this morning or to stand up. I just, just, just want to pray a prayer if that's you here this morning. If you can just give me a quick wave just so I know who I'm praying for. If you're saying, Tim, I want to say yes to Jesus this morning. Anyone here? Thank you, Lord. You want to say yes to Jesus? Amen. Maybe you're here today and Maybe you've been burnt out on religion. Maybe you feel like your Christian walk has, at this point in time, been about following rules and regulations. and You just feel like this has been a hard slog for maybe the last season, last year, or last few months. You feel like that your relationship with God has just been about following rules. I would love to pray with you. We've got a pastoral team here, but I'd love to pray with you personally because you know I've gone through that many times in my life. There's a probably, probably once a year, I would think to myself, man, it just feels like I'm following rules and regulations. You know? But then I just reset myself and realize, hang on, it's not about that. I've got to get back. Uh, uh, Lord, I'm aware of your presence. And 
It's not about rules and regulations. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like your your walk, you feel like that that your relationship with God is about rules and regulations. If that's you, could just give me a quick wave because I want to pray for you as well. Just be bold this morning. Just give me a quick wave. If that's you, you feel like you feel like your relationship has been turned into religion. Thank you, Lord. Why don't we stand this morning? We're going to worship God, and I'm going to open up the front here. This morning, if you want prayer for anything, uh, we've got our team here, but maybe you feel like you're burnt out this morning. I'd love to stand with you, pray with you, and just be there, just being aware of His presence. Remember, church, it's the most wonderful time of the year because right now, in these next few days, few weeks, we get to be a blessing to all people. Amen? Let's worship. If you, if you want prayer, please come out the front. I'll be here.